0: Well, thank you all for being here. I'm um, so excited to have our our guest this month. We have um, Rich Monitz from Rich Insights. And um, it's going to be a great talk. Uh, if you're not familiar, we do a community call every month for brand pollinators. And um, we like to bring in a guest expert who can um, help us you know cover a topic that is relevant to our audience so we work with a lot of impact driven founders of um, commercial or uh, consumer packaged goods and so um, this week is going to be great because um, rich has a lot of experience working uh, in consumer insights so he's going to be able to kind of answer a few questions for us hopefully and um, share a little bit about how he does his research Um, So, Rich has dedicated over a decade to this research industry with a specific focus on eye-tracking technologies, and throughout his career, he's collaborated with tons of different companies, um, from global to smaller CPG, and his expertise lies in using cutting-edge technology to gain insights into consumer behavior, So he pioneered the development of an innovative testing solution um, for interactive shopping and virtual reality. And these tools have helped the clients that he works with to get a more competitive advantage and help them do new product launch or redesign packaging um, so that it's most successful on the shelf. So Rich is also deeply committed to um, creating a positive impact in the world, which of course we love. Um, He's got three daughters and um, really wants to make sure that he's doing work that's leaving a legacy in a better world for them. So love it. Um, And then of course, one of the initiatives that he does through his company is to um, plant trees with every uh, study that he does. So um, a really cool way to have a service-based organization giving back so um thank you rich for being here
1: yeah it's uh it's really exciting i i'm honestly super excited to talk eye tracking um you know i i can't wait to field some of these questions coming up and i've i've already gone through and and looked at a lot of the questions we're going to be talking about i've made tons of notes i'm almost worried that we have too much to cover Um, but yeah, we'll get through as much as we possibly can today.
0: Awesome. And if you have questions along the way, please feel free to drop them in the chat or, um, you know, come off mute and ask us if there's something specific, um, you know, we'll do our best to get an answer for you. I'm sure, um, some things may not be as easy to answer on the fly without doing some actual research, but, um, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, okay. Awesome. So just to get us started, um you're working with customers like the idea that they're they're coming to a certain part of the store and look are they looking for something specific when you're working with them or is it just like what do they see when they're looking at that shelf
1: so i've been involved in both kinds of research um what i do now uh, with using online technology for eye tracking, it's a lot more focused on the section. So we sort of drop them into the section that they're looking at right away. Um, but I've done in-store work where we're literally putting a pair of glasses on a shopper before they go into the grocery store. And it's like, go ahead, go on your shopping trip. And we're just going to watch what you do. Um, and and the beauty thing about... Um, you know, eye tracking glasses is it's very non-invasive. Like once they put them on, you don't have to interact with them or touch them or go near them, you know, for the rest of the shop. So, you know, at the beginning, it might, they might be conscious about it, but they forget very quickly. And and you notice that behaviors start to come through really naturally and, you know, uh, encouraging people to use phones, or we've even been on recruits where we've recruited parents with kids just to see that level of interaction, like how much Attention is actually paid to kids versus products. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of brands sort of have this mentality of people are focused on shopping the entire time. But um the reality when you go into a store is their attention is everywhere, right? Especially if you're a parent with kids. Your yeah. your focus is almost half the time just on your kids, on your phone, on shopping lists, on flyers. Um, you know, it it the total attention that can be paid to something on the shelf or signage gets reduced really quickly uh, when you see stuff like that.
0: That's a really good point. And I love the fact that, you know, the glasses aren't very invasive, so they can just kind of wear them and get used to them easily. And they, like, I feel when I'm trying to do something objectively, I just start, like, thinking, overthinking it, you know? But if you're walking around the store looking at stuff, like, your eyes are just going to go places and you're not going to be able to say like, Oh yeah, I spent 20 minutes looking at the back of this package. Like your eyes aren't going to lie about that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's through like years of working with multiple methodologies, you know, whether it's straight questionnaires or interviews. Um, I've used EEG headsets where you're, you know, putting a wet cap on people's heads, like, we've spanned a gamut of, of technology, trying to get a read on what shoppers are doing and get a better look at, at their, a little more insight into their behavior, right? Because it's one thing to have someone state something, but to get a peek inside what's what's actually happening happening under the helmet, you know, in their head, um, that's, that's invaluable. And um, over the years, eye tracking has been one of those things time and time again, I've come back to because it's so reliable um, in terms of predicting success or failure um, and improving on, on what exists. It's been very, very reliable. If I ever had a study that came down to, you know, people talking about on a scale of one to five and rating a bunch of things on metrics, as opposed to, I have all of the, Eye tracking metrics here that point to a certain package as winning. Um, you know, I'm gonna tend to rely on the behavioral metrics and then color some of the reasoning uh with, with some of that other qualitative stuff. Um, but eye tracking has always been extremely reliable. And and like you said, you don't lie. Um, you know, if if something's noticed, it's noticed. If it goes unnoticed, it's it's tough to lie about something like that
0: yeah for sure and so one of the things i think that's been really challenging especially in this like impact driven sustainability natural product space is that we hear through surveys and whatever that consumers are really interested in purchasing um you know more sustainable products but then it doesn't always translate to what they actually purchase so does the eye tracking study have like a strong correlation to what they end up purchasing or is it just more like this is what is going to catch their attention first
1: there's definitely a correlation but there's almost two ways of chunking up eye tracking um and, and there's two ways i approach the study too there's more of a macro view of how does a package stand out in its environment And then there's a more micro view of how well does it communicate what it needs to once it's noticed. So it almost has to break through. It has to do two main jobs. The first job is just to get noticed on the shelf. And that's a huge job. You know, when you think of the grand scheme of, of the entire store, you have a fraction of a percentage of shoppers that are going to notice your package on the shelf, especially if it's a smaller, footprint you know if it's something huge like tied in the home cleaning section there's a good chance that anyone that goes down that aisle is going to see it but when you're talking about one or two facings in a 40-foot aisle um, it's fractions of a percentage of shoppers that are going to notice something and then at best one to two seconds of attention on that on that product and that's if they're in a uh, you know a a, a browsing mode where they're sort of open to exploring that kind of thing. If they're stuck on a, a specific searching task, it's gonna be much more difficult to break through and you're gonna receive much less attention if you're not what they're looking for exactly. Um, so You know, your, your original question, is there a correlation between uh, um, standout and, and purchasing? Definitely, the more likely something is to get noticed, the higher the chance that it's gonna get purchased. Where we can see that breakdown is with eye tracking. So I've been involved in lots of studies where we've tested multiple designs. And one of those designs has actually broken through very well in terms of being noticed, but then behaviorally, it doesn't get picked up. It doesn't get purchased. Um, You know, people move on very quickly. So. Without eye tracking, you would never have even known that there was something successful going on there um, that you're potentially missing just based on your metrics of, oh, this one was purchased the most, so it's the winning idea. Well, that's, that's great to have that, but there might be some ideas you can take from that package that's doing a good job standing out on the shelf. It might just be falling flat because it's too busy or it's not communicating what it needs to when it's noticed but it is doing that first thing very well. So, you know, whether it's the color or the shape or some particular graphic, um, and we could easily understand that with eye tracking because you could see what's capturing people's attention. But those kinds of things, they'll get missed if it's if you're just testing package designs and asking people questions or just observing what people are doing, um, you know, behaviorally based on purchases and things like that. You're, you're going to miss, you're leaving some, some of that information on the table, and uh, one of the things I I absolutely love about eye tracking is it helps you learn from failure, where um, you don't necessarily have that opportunity a lot of the time, and you might not even be aware that there was uh, the potential for that opportunity a lot of the time. So yes, it does correlate. You know, it, the more people you can get to look at something, the better the chance that they're going to buy. If that correlation doesn't exist then there's usually a reason why, and it's very simple to, to see that that correlation is breaking uh, using eye tracking.
0: Mm. Oh, that's that's really a, such a great point, because if the packaging isn't doing a good job communicating, then it's like, wow, what is this? And they look at it and, and a little closer and like, I don't know, like looks cool, but I don't know what this is. Uh, yeah. Then that, that's where the problems come. That that makes so much sense. So what, like how, does that mean that people have to actually pick up the package to be able to understand that communication or should there be like clear communication completely on the front of the package?
1: Definitely, Um, I y- y- you definitely want the front of your package to communicate as quickly and as simply as possible. Um, when I'm testing and through the years when we've tested packages, uh, you know we'll look at the the macro metrics in terms of you know what percentage of shoppers noticed your pack on shelf, um, what order did it get viewed, so you know what other brands are noticed first, um, things like that at the macro level. But uh, at a more micro level, your package needs to communicate um very simply and very understandably to to your shopper in order to get them to pick it up so it, that's that second step in terms of the communication and um you know how people visual, visually digest a package becomes super important at that point if you can imagine that you know you you only have a small fraction of a percentage of people who are going to notice a package and then if they happen to glance at it they're only giving it 1 second of attention you want to make sure that your main messaging your main sort of selling features can be communicated in less than a second mm-hmm. you know if you have a bunch of fancy graphics and and your package is very nice and beautiful and busy can someone look at that package and understand what it is and its value prop within a second and if the answer is no you might wanna go back and back to the drawing board there because your, your package is likely a little bit too complex. Yeah. Uh, you see it with signages, you see it with packaging. Um, I think the only package in the history of packages that is the exact opposite to that is the uh, Dr. Bronner's, like their packages, they're filled with content on the top, but that's part of their look. So right. their entire brand is like that. And I don't think they're expecting consumers to read all of that content. Um, but it, it's you know a part of their look now at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I would say you know minimalism is is a better practice. Um, but then understanding how you can drive standout in your category becomes extremely important, right? What works in pasta sauce, might not work in energy drinks, right? I've seen some interesting uh, sauce companies coming out with very bright, colorful packaging now. That's that's doing a great job standing out, you know, among those white labeled, red jar standard that's in that category. Um, but yeah. if you bring that to energy drinks, that's already a rainbow of color, and you're just going to blend in.
0: Yeah, it is. It's interesting because in, if you're in the pasta sauce aisle. And there's all these other pasta sauces there. It's not a big leap to see something that doesn't look like a typical pasta sauce jar and already know that it's pasta sauce, you know, like you can look at it and it's like, it doesn't look familiar right away, but it's surrounded by pasta sauce. So you're like, (laughs) what is this a pasta sauce? Like, I feel like that catches your attention. But like you said, in the energy drinks, there's there's already a lot going on there and being like more simple and clear, like this is an energy drink (laughs) helps people understand because I feel overwhelmed in some of those aisles where there's kind of a lot of variation within the category. And it's like, wait, does this have like caffeine in it or is this like functional or what am I looking at here? So yeah, that it makes sense that it depends kind of on the, on the aisle that you're in.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, whether, you know how how important is it to show off flavor and and some of those benefits? There's trade-offs there. Obviously, you can't make everything the main message on the front, and a lot of brands try to do that. But if if everything is uh, presented, then nothing is presented. Um, I've done a lot of studies in in stores where it's, it's interesting, you see the same kind of thing happening at an aisle level where, you know, you could walk into an aisle and if it's full of price tags on one side, nothing's on sale really. But if you walk into an aisle and one or two items are marked with sale tags, they immediately draw your attention and you look, oh, what's on sale? You know, uh, it's the same thing with packages, you know, if you have too many messages on that front, it just becomes nothing. It becomes white noise and it's skipped over.
0: So w- does it matter like where uh, vertically the stuff is on the shelf? Because it seems like stuff that's at eye level would be much more noticeable in a much easier lift for the customer to just be walking along and be like, whoop, there it is what I want versus like stuff that gets relegated kind of to one of those lower or very top shelves.
1: For sure. And I mean, like if, if, you know, we're up to any brand, having, you know, the biggest brand block possible and being at eye level would be the two ideal things you want, because those things help improve the amount of people that are going to look at you by a huge amount. Mm -hmm. Um, Being at eye level, you know, if you you could see a heat map of store shelves in terms of where people visually look, those middle three shelves are lit up. And then as soon as you move further away from that extreme, it becomes dead zones. So bottom shelf uh, is typically a dead zone and top shelf is typically a complete dead zone, which is why you see a lot of stores take advantage of that by putting some of the more uh, the larger items on the bottom like club stuff. Uh, same with the top shelf like it might be an overstock shelf um, Mm -hmm. because it really isn't shopped all that well and if you exist on there as a brand you're going to need to do extra work uh, and make sure your package is working extra hard Mm -hmm. to to stand out there Um, some of the things that are more controllable you know if you can be placed beside the big visual anchor of the of the aisle that's fantastic if you can have a placement that's either to the immediate right of a a large visual anchor to that section, or almost picture a reverse C because that's typically what people do is they'll hit on a visual anchor and then start to sort of scan out like this around the shelf when they're in a a searching mode. Mm -hmm. When you're browsing through the store, it's almost just like a zigzag up and down as you go through the aisle very quickly, but when you're searching it's more of a reverse C pattern. So being sort of immediately adjacent and then underneath and then around that that visual anchor can be a huge advantage. Um, But other things that can give your product an advantage are just things like owning a unique color in the category or or a a range of colors. Um, You know, if you're gonna denote different flavors or sub brands, things like that, um, owning a unique uh, shape So just having some sort of unique packaging or a unique size in the category is a great way to draw attention. It's just, you know, if you imagine yourself sort of looking at this shelf of packages that are all the same size and one is twice as big, your eyes are much more likely to be drawn to that package, right? So um, just playing at those kinds of things. Um, And I've seen some, some... companies do that really well uh there's a canadian company that makes an energy drink right now called revita and it's in a pouch so if you can imagine a pouch sitting on this shelf with you know among a bunch of cans all of a sudden it's like wow what's that pouch you know it's it's almost like a cheat code where and and now i've noticed some companies are starting to copy the pouch idea so um you know that, that's bound to happen but it's initially, it's almost like a cheat code. If you can own a color or a shape or a size, um, that that's a great thing to have
0: so, in, in your category. Uh, yeah, to go on a slight tangent here. So it made me think of Hi Bar. We have Nora on the call here and their product, it like their packaging has a picture of the soap on the outside, like the shape of what it looks like when you open the package. And I think that really stands out because it shows what it is. And I tell you, I have, you know, I have the product at home, but I was at a friend's house and I stayed there for the weekend. And when I was using their shower, they had the high bar soap and I knew it was high bar because of the shape. And so mm-hmm. um, it made me also think like, okay, so does having a picture of what's inside the package help? share the message of what it is. I mean, I'm sure in certain categories it makes more sense than others, but.
1: Yeah, it can. And and I'm looking at their package images right now. It it looks um, very cool. It The other thing that it does very well is it's a unique shape on the package. So unique shapes are another sort of cheat code, right? Like if you can have something that's rounded as opposed to square, that's much more likely to draw the eye. I find that a, a lot more relevant when it comes to things like signage. um you know, if you have a shelf talker or something like that like adding a rounded edge to that can really improve that. um but here this package it's a square package, but then it has a very prominent shape on the front. It, it helps distinguish flavors. it helps unify the the sub the brands and and all the different scents together. um I, I think it, it's a it's a pretty Good design in terms of calling out what it is on top as well. Um, it looks like there is quite a bit of content on the front. Uh, I'd, I'd potentially consider reducing the amount of words. Um, there is a lot uh, to to consume there visually. So reducing that and then saving that content for the back. Because the first goal, get noticed on shelf get understood and then you can get picked up once you're picked up then you can put all the messaging you want all around the package you can have your story on the back you can you know once they're engaged that's when you have their attention you can put whatever you want on there but Mm -hmm. um getting it to work to do that first thing
0: yeah that no that makes so much sense so I know when I've I've done a little bit of package design in the past, and remember we had a debate about whether to include like pictures of the ingredients for like the food product, or to have like an actual picture of what the final product looked like. Do you have any insights on like how that does?
1: That that's varied, um, yeah, based on category a lot. You know whether it's a product image or um, a window into the product, sometimes that's just an effective way, or, or it's a clear package where you can just see the product.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, I think in, in most of the research I've been involved with, if flavor is sort of an important part of your consumer decision tree, where you know, flavor is gonna be a top consideration in that set, then usually including an image is a very powerful tool. Um, you know, I've seen packages, companies where they, they've they had gone from a small image or no image to showing an image and the noticeability has skyrocketed um, on the shelf because it was almost largely ignored before. And then you go to understanding what it is or better distinguishing flavors, things like that. So um, one brand that just recently did that, that I, I really love their new package is uh, Snack Conscious. They had like, it was a very plain, bold color package that sat on the shelf and it's very noticeable. Um, but I, you had no idea what was in there, right? Until recently when they've actually started adding a lot of huge imagery onto their uh, packaging. Now you get it right away, what it is and, and, and what it is, um, what's in it. And uh, it meets those sort of craving needs. You know, if, if I'm in a browsing mode and I'm open to maybe try a different product, I'm probably not gonna look at one that doesn't show me what the product is. If it's something brand new um, that I might not understand. Just the other day, I I actually didn't buy a cereal because I didn't know what the cereal looked like. And it was for my daughters and um, you know they're weird about some certain shapes and things like that. So without seeing the cereal, I was just like, well, I can't make this choice until I go home and actually look it up.
0: And it's so funny because it's like, it's kind of a minimal risk. Like you spend five bucks or whatever on a box of cereal and see what it's like, but so many consumers and I do it myself too. You're just like, Ooh, like I don't, you know, there's this, this mental block of, and you know, everything in the grocery store costs money. And so, you know, if you add in a bunch of things that you're not sure what they are, then you end up spending, you know, 20, 30, 40 extra dollars on stuff that you're like, I don't even know what
1: this yeah. is. Yeah, and for me, I'm always trying new stuff. Like I'll see a new brand and I'm throwing it in my cart all the time. I I get a lot of of, uh, trouble for that from my wife, but. um, So another
0: question about the packaging so if there's limitations on being able to have a window or something like something that's sensitive. So um, Jessica brought up, she's, she has lucky 22 spice company. So her jar is actually like an amber glass because it's protecting the spices inside. But she said, people have asked like, Oh, is this a sauce or because they can't see what's in there. So do you have any insight on to how to deal with like needing a certain type of package to protect the product?
1: I I haven't done a ton of work with stuff like that. Um, And and I mean, you're sort of just falling into those guidelines anyway, right? So whatever you're sort of forced to work with, you don't have much choice outside of that anyway. I I know we've done some studies with like beer and stuff like that, where uh, some of those containers have to be a certain color and and things like that. Um, With seasoning, I would say if, if the customers are having trouble distinguishing what's in there, like you might need to hit them over the head with, you know, the fact that it's seasoning or spice, um, yeah. something that's very large on the label. Uh, you know, if if that's in fact a problem. Um, mm-hmm.
0: well, she did mention that it's a D 2 C product right now, so I imagine mm. it's on shelves with other spices, it might become more clear without yeah. having more explanation. Okay, we have an example in the comments. So um, Susan from um, Recoup has her product. uh, She put a picture on here, updating my can packaging, trying to figure out the hierarchy and possibly adding the fruit images on there. So this one's what ginger? Oh, ginger powered, it says. okay, ginger, watermelon, tree water. Very cool. That's pretty.
1: Yeah. it it depends on how you want um things to play with your consumers one of the things i would do if i if i was running a study is um i'll ask people literally you know what's important when you're shopping this sort of category what messages resonate with you the most and i'll test a bunch of different messaging across brands from all uh, uh from all across the category just to understand like what messages actually re- resonate with uh, shoppers and then whether those messages are even present on the can or not. Um, you know, if something like flavor is very important in this category, then playing up the, the flavor imagery might become one of the most important things on the can. So understanding, uh, you know, how people visually digest that, that can, typically, you know, it's going to be left to right and top to bottom. That's, typically what you would see i've seen lots of examples where that doesn't happen or people jump across the can because you know there's a big element here and a big element here so you can sort of um uh, influence where where people do look on a can you know i, I would say looking at the picture here people are going to land on the brand name very quickly they're probably going to go up to that resilience word and then down to the flavor um which probably is the right Order of consumption there, um, you probably want the brand to break through. You want some benefit to break through, uh, or or a sub brand, you know, resilience, uh, that kind of thing, breaking through, and then and then the flavor. Those are probably the three most important things in that category to have breakthrough: uh, the brand, the benefit, and the flavor, um, and whether that imagery resonates with uh, shoppers. You know, I've seen. Real imagery, artistic imagery; those are things you can sort of test on the shelf at a more macro level. What stands out better? um, What's communicating that um, that product better? And you can literally test that. Um, You know, it's tough to say. You know, it's tough to provide insight into you know real art tends to work better than uh animated art or or it really is category dependent um and i've seen both work really well on on different um products so
0: now i know um this product is organic right susan
1: uh, yes the that version that's the old can old version which wasn't that's why it's not on there
0: uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, it just reminded me to ask about the, the like certifications that you would want to have on the front, because I think, you know, I usually see a lot of like non-GMO call outs, which catch my attention. And I don't know if that's, if there's certain certifications that are more resonant with consumers on the front.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it can be a trade-off, right? Like you don't want to show off too many of those things because you're going to detract everything you put on the front is going to detract from the potential of everything else on the front so you know and you already have to put a lot of different things on there especially in Canada we have uh, you know bilingual laws here so that adds another layer of complication but communicating things like the size and servings and and some of those front of pack materials that are almost non-negotiable you know by the time you get up to uh, some of those other things, you might be communicating six or seven different important things on the front of your pack. And already that's getting into the red zone in terms of some of those things will not be noticed in within that one second of time. Um,
0: well, just as an aside, I was listening to a, a webinar about, uh, I think it was fair trade. I can't remember, but they were talking about the recognizability of the different certifications, and one of them like i was surprised at like fair trade was really high um the non-gmo was higher than organic and um like rainforest alliance i think was the other one that was really high and I realized that all of those had a pretty clear icon associated with them so that even if you didn't know what the certification was, like rainforest Alliance has like a tree frog or something. A tree
1: frog. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and like fair trade has like a person holding a basket or something like that. And then um, the, the non GMO has a butterfly. And so it's like, even if a customer doesn't understand what the certification is, like maybe those do better because they actually have an image associated with them rather than just saying like USDA organic.
1: They are, they can, depending on how important those messages are with your consumers or your purchases of your category, um, you know, it, it does make sense to prominently place them on the front. Sometimes they Make more sense on the back. I've seen a lot of companies now where they're trying to sort of group certifications in together, you know, along the bottom where it's like two or three certifications that sort of have a similar look or iconography feel to them. Um, I, I think that's a really good way of calling out benefits, you know, very quickly. If there are, if there really are a lot that you need, like if GMO is important and fair trade is important to your consumers. And you need to call both those things out. Um, you sort of have to, but if you could do it in a u- more uniform way and group them all together, it makes it a little bit more visually digestible. Instead of spreading them across the can and and or across your product, and you know, I have to look up here for organic and down here for fair trade and over here for non-GMO. You know, that that adds seconds that you don't have. Um, to actually understanding that product so
0: well and maybe like having all those that depends on what like you said what your consumer wants so if your product is in like air then maybe those consumers are going to be looking for all these certifications versus if it's in you know some more conventional or like a big box store or something like that then you're trying to reach people that don't necessarily know what the certifications are maybe
1: for sure for sure, exactly. And I mean, at, at a, a high level, the macro standout out on a shelf, that's not really going to change retailer to retailer. People are going to notice something that stands out. They're going to not notice something that blends in. That's fairly universal. It's sort of that next layer of comprehending the package and understanding the messaging that's presented on it that really separates different shopper types. So, um, you know, as someone like me, I'm constantly looking for that gluten-free certification because um, my wife and daughters are gluten-free. So that becomes a very important to my hierarchy, but it's also something that I, I have no problem uh, looking on the back floor or something like along those lines. If it's a, a category I'm shopping, it does make it convenient when it's presented out front. Um, you know, And for certain categories, it does make sense. Like if I'm shopping, Pasta. I want to see the gluten-free pasta clearly called out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know where it might not make as big of difference if I'm shopping in the gummy aisle.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Stephen asked a question uh, about e-commerce. Um, any eye track in- tracking information advice? Informed advice on which product images to upload to a marketplace or uh, online retailer. So, yeah, how, does, how is that different than um, because you don't have to always have like a dead on this is exactly what you would see how it's sitting on the shelf. So is, yeah. do you have any insight there?
1: It, it, that's really category dependent. I've been involved in studies where like showing the actual product, like an image of the whatever it is, has been very effective. So something like maybe uh, granola you know, showing a handful of granola can be effective. Um, There is a real risk if your package is overly complex that when it's displayed on a screen, you can't read any of it, which is another benefit of simplifying your package and having it really be easy to consume on the shelf. Those same things translate to when someone's browsing packages online, Um, those same sorts of things and principles uh, resonate, right? Like if the package is very simple and easy to understand when I'm scrolling through a bunch of different products, that makes sense. And and same thing, like if it's in a unique looking color or unique looking package shape or something along those lines, if I'm scrolling a bunch of bags and all of a sudden your product isn't in a bag, yeah, that's probably gonna be well noticed. You know, so it it really like things like that are very category dependent and really um, competitive dependent. Uh, Whatever people are doing, you sort of want to visually do something that's different to stand out, whether that's in store or online.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you do other, um, what was it called? Uh, Facial coding, where it's like, what are people looking at in terms of other content too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we've worked with facial coding. That works really well with um, testing dynamic content. Like if you wanna test video content or uh, concept testing, like you really get a raw natural reaction to someone's like, oh, like what's that kind of face? You know what I mean? Like where it's very raw Mm -hmm. (laughs) reactions that people have. And facial coding is really interesting because it's so universal. Um, It spans cultures, it spans ethnicities, Um, you know, the way someone looks when they're happy is the same everywhere you are in the planet. It's the same for a blind person who's never seen facial expressions. It's the same for even in primate, they've studied, you know, these universal sort of emotional expressions. Um, So they're very, very powerful. (coughs) I have found that with Um, content like package design and things like that it's tougher because it's just not dynamic so it's almost like you know presenting people with a bunch of images tends to work the packaging sort of fits in there I've I've never really used it for that it's more signage advertising Um, it works really really well for um, Mm -hmm. especially if you're going for a certain reaction like if you're trying to get, you know, a a happy reaction or a fearful reaction out of someone. You can literally test hundreds of people and, you know, see a graph on, oh, yeah fear is spiking at this point. You're bang on. Um, So, yeah, facial coding is an interesting one. And it seems to be another one that's fairly reliable. Um, It's also, bonus, another one that can be done online. So eye tracking and facial coding can be done using webcams. Um, which is sort of that space I play in now. In person eye tracking is amazing, and the fidelity is amazing, and it's terrific. But it's also very, very expensive. Um, you know, some of the studies I was involved in, the retailer partnered with a brand, and you know, there's lots of people involved, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of work. Um, where now we can, you know, there's even AI based. Uh, eye tracking that can sort of give you a, a really instant read on hotspots of, you know, a package or an advertisement, um, and and that AI tech is is really actually pretty neat. Um, it, it does it does have limitations for sure. It's not going to show you the order in which those things were consumed or or things like that. Little subtle things that might help you point towards something else. But I mean, early stage design. Uh, AI eye tracking is great. Like, oh, uh, you know, I might need to bump up the size of this picture because it's really not breaking through Um, things like that. So.
0: And you could just like do that digitally, right? I mean, you don't have to have like the product developed and printed in, in distribution to be able to try that.
1: For sure. Yeah. I've worked with companies where um, we're working with literally a digital mockup. They don't even exist in store we'll go into store and take a picture of, you know, where they would likely be Mm -hmm. and then just digitally swap their brand in for a brand that's already on the shelf. Um, And then you can swap in a few different designs. So, you know, let's test three different designs before you're even in store. We can tell you which one of those designs is more likely to be successful. And you can probably learn from each of those designs to sort of create one new, hybrid design that might be better performing than all three of any three of them could be individually um mm-hmm. and that that's been an interesting thing too we we started getting into some uh, virtual reality eye tracking when I was um, in my past life and that became very powerful tool for being able to test multiple planograms in rapid succession so we could have a shopper go into a target then shop a Walmart then shop a Kroger. And we could take the best of all of those planograms and start to create like an entirely new planogram based on the top performing principles. And it's like, okay, now we've dropped you into this aisle. That's a hybrid of those three retailers um, that sort of maximizes, uh, you know, the best things about all of them. So Hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Cause I feel like it, it gives You know, smaller brands, a little bit more power, and there's definitely a way to save a lot of headaches and a lot of expense um, to learn that stuff in advance rather than go for like buying the material and hiring a designer and getting it distributed and then be like, oh, people aren't really interested in this package.
1: For sure. And, And big companies make those mistakes all the time. As well, right? Like, um, I, I worked on a study once for a sliced bread company, and they had gone through uh, initially a round of focus groups where they had they were testing, I think, four different designs. And one of those designs really emerged as people love this design. It's the top performer. It's sort of universally liked. Um, you know, it has great imagery, all these colors that they are used. We tested it and put it on the shelf. And when it got put on the shelf and all you were exposed to was the butt, the top of the package that they had put all their effort into didn't matter. And this new package design just flopped. Like it performed much worse than their current pack. So, you know, it was sort of one of those things where eye tracking caught that right away. Um, You know, noticeability plummeted and purchases plummeted. Um, it was something they corrected right away. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. And and it kind of ties back to that e-commerce aspect too, of like you could show the top of the bread on an e-commerce platform, but in the store, they're not all stood up on end like that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And I've seen, I've seen lots of examples where uh, companies do sort of assume you're going to be exposed to one part of the package And then in practice or in one of the retailers they're in, it doesn't turn out like that. Um, That happens a lot in refrigerated and frozen sections where it's like, oh, we thought we were going to be sort of stacked where you see our front facing or where, you know, you're going to be exposed to the lid of our tub. But all I'm exposed to is the front and it doesn't have a flavor. It doesn't have anything on it. I have no idea what this product is. I skip over it. Yeah. Uh, You know, meanwhile, if you had seen the top, you would immediately be attracted. It's this bright, colorful thing, you know, and and it's a complete waste in that retailer. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and you don't always have control over where it's placed or how it's merchandised. So, and actually, speaking of merchandising, what like have you done any studies with the like the outer pack? So if there's um, the shipper or something that they're using as a way to merchandise the product, it, have you have you done any studies there?
1: For sure. That becomes hugely important in um, a lot of the work I did front of store. So yeah. in convenience in front of store where you know it's chocolate bars being put in their shipper, that's pretty much how they're merchandised. So it becomes a very important piece to how they are displayed and tested. Um, and then Costco is another one where you probably want to test shippers and things like that, because that's how it's going to be displayed on the shelf. Um, you know we with Costco testing Costco images online you tend to use a lot of wider angle shots um, or almost you know here's a far away shot then i bring you closer then mm-hmm. we get down to the product level because you almost need to have that that reference uh, in Costco um, where in a re in a normal retail environment i might be able to just isolate it to a four foot section and show you that mm-hmm. as well, opposed to showing you a 20 foot section. Yeah.
0: This is also making me think of the recoup um, packaging too, because you know, you may be having those on, you know, in a cold case individually, or they may be on shelf in like a four pack or a six pack or something like that. So um, the design of the outer pack is, is going to depend on where that is in the store too, probably.
1: Matters a huge amount. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, and you want both those things to work well, um, mm-hmm. I've seen uh, companies where the, the the they they put so much time on the package of the product itself, and then almost no thought goes into the shipper, and the shipper is what's displayed. You know, it's just like. Yeah you've missed a huge opportunity here Uh, you know all of the effort that went into this great package that no one is exposed to now the shipper's doing all of the selling it's doing all of the legwork it has to be doing just as much work as your package otherwise Mm -hmm. people aren't even going to reach into it
0: yeah no that that makes so much sense yeah. yeah, so I had uh, I had a question on here that I wanted to ask, which is like some of the biggest mistakes you've seen people make with their packaging. And I feel like we've already covered some of those, but is there anything that stands out to you or maybe just like something really unique that you saw that like totally flopped or, or maybe did really well that you weren't expecting to?
1: That, that brand, the bread one is always one that I come back to because it, it, just because it resonated so well in their focus groups and their entire internal team was aligned to this one package design. Um, I, I did just think of another one too. There was, um, oh, it just escaped me, one second. There was another, um, what was it? Oh man, it was, was it a like great a example. With a
0: pack, but something with a pack on the outside.
1: Oh, so great example. I was working with a kitchen organization company. Okay, Okay. so we were testing uh, Target and Walmart kitchen organization shelf sets, picture like spice racks and like those clear organization things that go into fridges, things like that. Their original pack design uh, was sort of a light brown color, which I mean, there's tons of that color in the aisle already. Right. All of those bamboo spice racks and things like that. That color exists in there in spades. They were gonna switch over to this like very baby blue teal colored packaging, which I thought, amazing. That's gonna stand out on shelf so well. Uh, you know, it's gonna do well. We don't need to do this study. You can just launch this package right now. It's gonna stand out. Yeah. And when we set up the shelf, like it, it was glowing. It stood out so well compared to some of the other things. And then when we went to actually uh, watch people shop this kitchen section, It's almost completely ignored. Like you can see the heat map almost completely avoids this light blue section. And in talking with people, it's because they had assumed that it was bathroom related because of such a strong connection with that teal color with bathroom. It's almost an association I didn't even know I had in my mind until someone articulated it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then it all falls into place as to why this section's being ignored. It's because I'm shopping for kitchen stuff and that's the bathroom stuff. So I'm ignoring it. Right. Like that's so crazy.
0: I mean, and like the psychology, it it's so what I think is so cool about using the eye tracking studies and like studying actual behavior is that like psychology it plays such a huge role in it that it's not you're not guessing it's like people you know associate certain things and I mean color is a little bit more elusive you might not have thought of that at first but um yeah it's like they're sort of there or there's like already biases or like cultural things in place that it's just kind of already in their mind they're making shortcuts um, before you know without thinking and and that's exactly where you have to catch people because their their brain is going to make shortcuts and you want to yeah. be something that they that catches their attention not something that gets ignored right because yeah if it doesn't if it doesn't like make sense in their brain then like we can't see it right
1: yeah yeah your brain when you're shopping it's almost in a constant state of like deselection. Like get rid of, filter out things that I'm not interested in, right? So that's when, you know, things like liquid death looking like beer in a water aisle sort of breaks you out of that browsing mentality. And it's like, oh, what's that weird looking thing that doesn't belong in this aisle? You know, those things are what catch people's attention initially. Mm -hmm. But then that pack has to do that second job equally as good in terms of communicating what it is, what its benefits are, why you should buy it. You know, it's, it's almost like a salesman that's mm-hmm. holding up a sign to be like, hey, look at me, look at me. And then it has to sell someone in one or two seconds.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, I, I mean, I think that's like a great summation of, of the conversation. And we, we are getting close to the end of time here. So I just want to leave a couple minutes in case anybody had any other questions. But I feel like we covered a lot of of what I wanted to hear about and I do also feel like we could talk uh for another hour because it's just like so interesting
1: yeah for sure you could you could have an hour just on uh almost any one of these things just across categories and across retailers like there's so much opportunity there um to test and and to stand out um, you know, and, and what works in one category will not work in another. I've seen that time and time again. So understanding your category is is really paramount. Like what is the messaging that's important to your consumers? And, and even thinking about, am I trying to attract new consumers? Because the messaging that they want to see might be different than, you know, what your current customers already are concerned with. So, um, you know, there's also a balance there in terms of, attracting new versus uh maintaining your old customers too like there might be some key message that would attract new customers that you didn't even know about uh, Mm -hmm. that becomes very very important um so
0: yeah no that's fascinating i love it okay did we have any other last questions for rich Uh, i just want to make sure that we we answer any questions that you had and then um, what's a good way for people to get in touch with you if um, they want to learn more or they have any other questions that they, um, that they didn't get to ask here.
1: Yeah. I mean, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, You can DM me. I've I've talked to lots of people. I've had calls and chats with people about, um, you know, they're going through a package redesign and they just want to pick my brain. I have no, absolutely no problem with that. I love talking about it. You know, I, there's only so much help I can offer before it's sort of, you know, well, we should actually test this. but mm-hmm. um, plenty of plenty of uh, opportunity to to pick my brain uh, or or they can email me, go on my website, uh, the dot um, or uh, it's just our at richinsightsresearch.com dot com to email me. Feel free to email me and and pick my brain.
0: Awesome. That's a great offer, guys. If you are interested in learning more about these eye tracking studies or how it could help you with your products on shelf, definitely take up Rich on his offer. And um, if there's anything that comes up afterwards, feel free, um, reach out to me if you have any other um, questions or uh, suggestions um, for how we can better provide um, insights for you. Please let me know. Um, my email is kate at brandpollinators.com. Definitely sign up for our email newsletter at brandpollinators.com where we send out information every single week that helps impact driven brands to grow and scale. So thanks Rich so much for being here. It was it was great chatting with you and hopefully yeah. you all, uh, learned something today.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Thanks a lot, everyone. <laughs>